Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast about value-based healthcare and the people who make it happen. We think you're really going to enjoy this one. Joe and Josh spoke to Howard Dean, the longtime governor of Vermont and then presidential candidate and chair of the Democratic National Committee. He has had a first row seat at many of the healthcare debates of the past 30 years, and we got to hear his thoughts on the past, present, and future of American healthcare. The views and opinions he expressed are his own and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position of Validate. We are grateful that Governor Dean took the time to speak with us from his mobile phone, but the result is that it's not our best quality sound recording. Welcome to the ACO Show. This is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and I lead adoption and training here at Allidade. And we're very excited to have a very special guest today, Governor Howard Dean. I'm Josh Israel, a psychiatrist and a medical director at Allidade. Uh, Governor Dean, thank you for being with us today. Uh, you were an internal medicine physician, then a longtime governor of Vermont, a presidential candidate, and then the head of the Democratic National Committee. Can you catch us up on what you've been doing since then? Governor Dean, this is Joe Schunkweiler. Uh, I'm curious, given that your background as a physician and our focus as a company and the two uh, uh, formerly practicing physicians that are chatting with you now, uh, were there particular things about your own background in clinical medicine that informed your work in government or, or even now? The most important thing was being trained scientifically, although that doesn't seem to have sunk in in some of the people on the other side of the aisle. But I care what the facts are enormously. Uh, if you have an ideology, the facts always trump the ideology. If the facts are wrong, you should change your beliefs, not change the facts, uh, which I think is a huge problem in government today. Um, so, you know, I ended up kind of in the middle of the road. I was conservative about money and liberal about uh, personal issues. Um, and that's because that's where the facts led me. Now, you are married to another physician, Dr. Judith Steinberg. Does she still practice in Vermont? She does. She has a small practice with uh, three other physicians, and she's been there for 35 years. Now, a lot of us doctors come home at the end of the day, and we have some gripes about billing and paperwork and insurance companies. Did your dinner table conversations involve being told that you had to go out, go out and fix these things by tomorrow? Well, the, the, you know, the medical system is broken. And it's broken for a very simple reason, and we're never going to fix it until you fix this very simple reason. The society pays us to do as much as we possibly can, whether you need it or not. And the reason things get so expensive, this notion, this Republican notion, that if only people posted their prices, competition would drive prices down, that's completely untrue. Reimbursement is based on the procedure. And we, we do not consume medicine the way we buy cars or buy homes. We're pretty good at buying 
cars at home. We're even pretty good at buying insurance. We are terrible about being buying medicine because we were emotional at the time. The stakes are enormous. And, of course, most of us don't have uh, the incredible training to know whether we need the $250,000 cancer treatment or the $150,000. And the insurance companies are basically, all their role is is to take in our money and then parcel it out to various providers. And you need to combine that uh, function. The, and, and it's done under Kaiser, for example. They get paid for keeping people well. Uh, uh, well. Uh, most of us in the medical profession, particularly hospitals, get paid only when you get really sick. Governor Dean, we, we work in the uh, value-based care space, particularly focused on accountable care organizations. And, and given your background, both as a clinician and in politics and policy, um, is, is that something that you encountered, the idea of, of shifting to value when you were still um, heavily involved in the policymaking side? Uh, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, value-based reimbursement has become a code word for, oh, let's not do managed care. Um, I think it's a, it's a tiny step in the right direction. Real value-based reimbursement has to be capitated care. And because there is an ACO now, uh, or our, our ACOs now, we have now an instrument for doing that. There's no reason that, and, and this is in fact happening around the country, uh, insurance companies are buying hospitals and hospitals are buying insurance companies. Once you give a payment to a hospital slash insurance company, there's no reason to give them any more. They can budget, they can use actuarial uh, methods to figure out what they should charge. And, and suddenly it becomes more profitable for them to keep you out of the hospital than it does to put you in the hospital. That is what we're really looking for. Now, accountable care organizations, as you know, don't work on capitation. Why is it that you feel that, that that's the best solution? Because it's the only solution that actually uses market forces. The people who make the decisions must take risk in the market economy. And that's not how it works now. The, the insurance company takes the risk and it passes the responsibility and the money on and the, and the cost on to us, uh, either the providers by limiting provider reimbursement or the patients by increasing their deductible. They're just passed through financial people who just take, skim a hell of a lot out of the system without providing any value anymore. Uh, the real value has to be uh, in captivated care. And what would be the, the check on that to prevent the bad old days of, of managed care organizations? You're always going to have a problem uh, in healthcare. You're always going to have uh, people who are feeling that getting screwed. Today, they get screwed by being charged too much, or by having, having Medicaid and Medicare overbilled uh, under the system. And I'm uh, recommending, uh, which exists today, uh, you'll have uh, people who don't think they get enough care. So there's going to have to be some regulation, but there's so much regulation now, it's breaking the system. Governor Dean, we often talk about uh, politics as the art of the possible, and you obviously know this better than anybody, especially given your your experience at the, in Vermont. Um, you talked about ACOs as a small step. What do you think is the next best step? What's the next well, the small ACO, step? The ACO is a, is a potentially a big step because vertically integrated care allows you in a single institution to make decisions internally about how to spend the money best for the patients. So the ACO is a big step. The next step has to be the combining of the insurance functioning function with the ACO to create capitated care organizations. 
specifically, uh, Governor, if you could talk about the role that you see the states playing in this, because I know that you know we, we sometimes forget that we have you know 50 different laboratories in the United States to, to do this kind of innovation. Well, I mean, obviously, states have very different records. Um, for example, uh, Texas has 22 percent of, of its kids with no insurance. That's ridiculous. That's outrageous. Massachusetts and Vermont virtually have 100 percent. Uh, everybody under 18 has health care coverage. And Massachusetts is very close to having 100% health care coverage among all its citizens. So um, different states do it differently. I think it's fine to have the states do it, but there have to be federal standards. Texas clearly doesn't meet the standards. Arkansas, which just threw 140,000 people off uh, Medicaid, uh, doesn't meet the standards. Uh, a lot of the states that wouldn't take the Medicaid match for ideological reasons because they didn't like Obama, they don't meet the standards. The standard has to be universal health care for all Americans. And, and do you think that that's possible right now? Of course it's possible. It would have been done had we passed the public option when uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act passed, uh, because people would have had a choice between the private sector and Medicare. And I think that's the way to get it done. And I think you're going to see that. I do not believe we're going to – I believe we will have Medicare for all optional. We're not going to have Medicare for all where all the insurance companies are put out of business, not because the insurance companies are so powerful and they have lobbyists, but because uh, the average American wants to make their own decision about having private versus public health care. And that's always the way it's going to be in, in this, our most libertarian country in the world. Sure. Governor, you, you touched on the need for data in the political process. And I think, you know, we here at Allidade and the rest of the folks who are focused on improving the healthcare system are trying to incorporate, you know, data and meaningful data for providers and patients wherever we can. Um, how do you think that opening that data to patients and providers will improve that process, particularly as you talked about when we're vertically integrating um, all the care as a goal? I think it improves a little bit. Um, clearly, when you choose a surgeon today, if you need a procedure, you can look uh, and find out what people's infections rates are, what hospitals' infections rates are. Uh, less scientifically, you can read comments on the Internet, which I find always to be a mixed bag because, of course, the that can easily be distorted. Uh, but, you know, more information of that kind is a good thing. Now, the problem with all that is it's not nirvana, which the Republicans seem to think it is, because, uh, in fact, it doesn't account for case mix. So if, if you're a surgeon who only takes the riskiest case, you're going to have a higher mortality than you will if you only do the safe cases. Well, if you're pretty sick, maybe you want to take the surgeon that does the riskier cases and has more experience. So... There's a lot of stuff that data doesn't really isn't as helpful as it might be, but it's certainly a lot better than having none at all. I have one more political question, which is we are still in the thick of the Democratic primary debate season and the various competing plans that the candidates talk about. And you would know maybe better than anybody. What is the point of it when they describe their plans, given that plans are done by Congress? You know, should we be paying a whole lot of attention when a when a Democratic presidential candidate has a you know fifty point plan for health care? Well, it does um, say how they think. I mean, that's helpful. But you're right. Uh, the plans are mostly for newspaper editors and reporters. They're not for the average voter. The voter doesn't care a lot about the plan. Sometimes something big comes out of a plan, like 
oh, we're going to do away with private insurance. That is, uh, you know, that people notice that and it's going to determine their vote. And I think you're going to see people backing away from that unless Bernie gets the nomination. He doesn't back away from his beliefs. Um, but uh, I, I think the plans are useful, uh, but they certainly don't drive votes very often, although they can if it's an area like healthcare and a topic that's easy to understand. Governor, one thing that I'm amazed by as a long-term political watcher and a, a former Senate staffer is the uh, how aggressive the Democrats have been during the primary season with these plans. Has that surprised you at all, given what you know about the, the polling data, or, or not surprised you, given what you know about the Democratic primary voter base? Well, I mean, the primary voters are usually generally better informed than the average member of the electorate, first of all. And second of all, health care is a really hot issue. It's bankrupted a whole lot of ordinary people who are no longer able to survive because they've gone broke for over health care reasons. And so they have very, very strong feelings about things like drug prices and hospital prices and, uh, and Medicare for all and universal health care. There's an enormous constituency for universal health care. Seventy percent of the public believes that Medicare for all ought to be an option. If that drops down into the 30s or 20s, when you say you have to get rid of your insurance, people people will get rid of their insurance, but they just don't want to be told that's what they're going to have to do. And if they're going to do it, they want to do it on their own time timetable. Uh, Governor, you were on the board of directors of Tilray, a Canadian company that was the first cannabis company to debut on the NASDAQ stock exchange. What, what yeah. drew you to that? Well, I was very much against legalizing marijuana when I was governor. Uh, two things changed my mind. One was my daughter is a public defender in the South Bronx. Many of her clients are poor members of minority groups, undereducated because the schools aren't so great up there. Uh, and a, a, a marijuana conviction will take them out of the above-ground workforce for their entire lives. So that seemed out of proportion to me. The other thing is, I, I, when I was governor, I felt that the people who were lobbying for medical uses of marijuana, first of all, didn't have good data. And second of all, I felt they were being disingenuous because they were using medical marijuana as a wedge to legalize pot, not because they had data that showed that medical marijuana worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the ensuing 15, 20 years, uh, the, the data has gotten much better. There are some things uh, that particularly CBD does that are valuable. It may be the THC even helps with addiction, with opioid addiction. So there are now uh, appearing to be some legitimate uses for a drug that is much less toxic than some of the drugs that we use uh, to combat some of these problems. Uh, I am deeply concerned about young people using marijuana um, un- in an unauthorized way, uh, but uh, I think that uh, to to oppose the legalization is probably a position that is a losing position as far as the facts go. As a psychiatrist, I have mixed feelings, as I've certainly had a fair number of patients who I watched their ambition get sapped away from smoking weed every day, but then a lot of people who, exactly as you say, end up really just being deprived of, of participating in our economy for the rest of their lives for for smoking some pot. So yeah, complex issue. I, I appreciate your take on that. It's a little like educating people about alcohol, which actually is a far more destructive drug. Pot can be destructive. There's no question about that. Uh, 
and, and you've obviously seen that in your practice, as I saw to a much smaller degree in my internal medicine practice. So this is not a benign drug, but it's probably more benign than alcohol. We clearly have to do education about this. And unfortunately, some of the education is happening now with this vaping crisis that I didn't see coming, and most people didn't either, I guess. Yeah. If you go to concerts in California now, uh, they'll announce over the PA that you know at the at the set break there will be a doctor out in the lobby, and if you pay him a little bit of money, you can get a ma- medical marijuana card. So it's just hard to get the balance right on this issue. Yeah, that is not. I mean, I, I don't think that's the proper way to administer any kind of medicine, let alone medical marijuana. I mean, yeah. if we're going to treat it as a medicine, we should treat it as a real medicine. Yeah. Governor, uh, a lot of our listeners are physicians who are looking to understand value-based care and ACOs or who may already be part of ACOs. Do you have any message to physicians who want to get involved in this and change the underlying policy, given that that's exactly the course that that you took? Yeah, I mean, my message is that we're all better with capitated care. Now, there are many physicians who resist capitated care, it's going to happen because it's the only way we're ultimately going to control health care costs. And right now, insurance companies use up about 20% of the money, and it's basically, or the insurance system, that is, the downcoding that they do after the upcoding in the hospital, none of that has to happen if you have capitated care. Here's the other thing that I think many doctors don't understand about capitated care, although the ones that do have most of the power in the medical system, which is another uh, reason that this doesn't happen sooner. Capitated care makes primary care people more valuable because now the emphasis is on keeping people out of the hospital and out of the operating room. The operating room is no longer a profit center. The ICU is no longer a profit center because you need to spend more money and you don't get paid anything extra. Uh, And assuming you've done your actuarial work properly, um, you soon realize that you're much better off hiring nurse practitioners and internists and pediatricians and uh, primary care providers then you are hiring cardiac surgeons. So, of course, the cardiac surgeons who are making millions of dollars a year are going to resist that, and they have tremendous power to resist that today because they're usual, usually the major uh, revenue enhancers of any uh, ACO or any system. If you go to a capitated care system, also you all of a sudden empower uh, primary care people. Uh, again, we talked previously, there's going to have to be some regulation. We don't want... Uh, uh, people not having being paid enough and losing people. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe if we didn't uh, pay for medicine the way we pay for it, and maybe if medical school didn't cost $300,000, uh, we might be in a position where we could have more primary care doctors who got paid better than they do today. That sounds like some of what you're describing is Medicare Advantage, but we've seen a couple papers recently that Medicare Advantage actually saves less money for the system than accountable care organizations. Would you think that's that, that is simply, uh, it doesn't mean capitated care doesn't work, it just means the government is overpaying for Medicare Advantage? Well, you know, that may be, and I ha- I've seen those studies, but I haven't read them thoroughly. Uh, Medicare Advantage, uh, at least in the uh, Part D, um, has actually saved money. It was something the Democrats were wrong about. That was a Republican plan. The Democrats voted against it because it was a Republican plan under George W. Bush. And it turns out to have worked well and been mostly under budget and saved the recipients of Medicare on Part D a lot. So what I see about Medicare Advantage is that is a plan 
which people get to choose. Look, we can't be purists about universal health care. We have to have universal health care. Health care ought to be part of a citizen, uh, what a citizen gets for living in a democratic country. On the other hand, there are many different systems. I can't think of a single system off the top of my head where there's not a parallel uh, private health insurance system. It didn't used to be one in Canada, and the, when there wasn't, uh, the private system was you come across the state and get your care at your own expense. Uh, it, in, uh, for example, in the Netherlands and Switzerland, they have universal health care system that's entirely based on private insurance. So I think we can't get into an ideology. Yes, insurance companies make outrageous profits really for not doing much other than uh, shunting our money around to the various positions we might choose. Okay. There has to be a better way of doing it than that. Now, you may know that Part D expenditures, the, the amount that Medicare spends on outpatient medications, is not part of the cost of care in accountable care organizations. So essentially, there's not strong incentive to reduce savings on medications for patients in accountable care organizations. Do you have any insight as to why that would not have been included in the targets for reducing the cost of care? I don't. I wasn't there. I mean, I wasn't in, obviously never served in Congress. Um, I I think that what they did was basically subsidize. I mean, it was genius politically. The the biggest people who were people who were most upset about uh, drug costs were older people, and so what they did was use the federal government uh, and the negotiating power of the federal government indirectly uh, to uh, make it possible for easier for older people to to get. Uh, to get uh, medications. So um, I, I don't really have an insight as to why that is. One of the most interesting things, which I think there really will be a lot of resistance to, uh, is um, I wonder if you can't set up pharmaceuticals as yet just another modality. Why can't pharmaceuticals compete against cardiac surgery? Uh, devices certainly are. In other words, suppose, I mean, maybe the, the instead of having Medicare negotiated with the pharmaceutical companies, which, of course, the, the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies are very much against, what, happens, what would happen if you were running an ACO, a capitated ACO, and when you made the allocations as the chief of staff and the, uh, or the uh, CEO of the hospital and the committee that was to do this, uh, you had drugs in that mix? Well, I'll I tell you why I think this way. So I, when I was practicing, if you came in with a big anterior MI, uh, you were going to be in the hospital for 10 to 14 days, assuming all went well. Well, today, that, um, that, day, that day has dropped dramatically. And why is that? Most likely because of pharmaceuticals keeping people out of the hospital. So really, pharmaceuticals are just another medical modality. Why not put them in the same mix as every other medical modality and have people decide which drugs they want to uh, want to give out and what makes the most sense. Now, if you do that, <clears throat> there are some drugs that initially have to be subsidized. I just read last week about a $1.2 million injection, which reversed one of the fairly rare uh, 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 diseases, the musculodegenerative diseases, uh, but it reversed it permanently. So it's one shot, and your child who is now beginning to suffer from uh, musculoskeletal disease uh, gets cured. Well, you're not going to have hospitals in the business of doing that, but there's going to be some uh, discussion about between the medical community, the government, and individual providers and hospital providers on something like that. But many of these drugs could simply be pitted against other ther therapies and 
have to prove their worth uh, and in a in a, uh, a refereed uh, manner by each individual ACO. Governor Dean, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm certain that uh, everyone will enjoy hearing your, your thoughts and, and learning about your experience. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks very much. I appreciate being asked.